My name is Jim Martin. And before we get going here today, I just wanted to ask a couple of things of you. One, let me just point out the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. So we mix the two together. And by the way, if you don't like ads, we have an ad-free version that we do for our patron supporters. So after uh, one of the tiers is gets you into the ad-free version, if that's what you want. Actually, a lot of people say they listen to the ad version anyway, because they like hearing the ads. And I understand that, but it's there if you, if that's what you would prefer. But just think about what you get from a cup of coffee or something like that. And then think about what you're getting from Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. And then drop our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. The other thing is, is if you can rate the show, I'm hoping a five-star rating, uh, anywhere you find podcasts or share it on social media, that sort of thing lets other people know about the show. And that would really help as well. Thank you very much. It was back in 1973 when Ted Simon jumped on his Triumph Tiger and rode off on a four-year odyssey that took him around the world. When the trip was over, Ted sat down and wrote the book Jupiter's Travels, a book that we all know, a book that has made Ted famous, that has made the name Ted Simon synonymous with adventure motorcycling or motorcycle travel. The book sold incredibly well when it came out. It continues selling well to this day. It has inspired more people than anyone can count, I'm sure, to go off on their own adventure, to change their own lives for positive change. Maybe for others, just allowing them to gain some insight into the human condition through Ted's eclectic and diverse experiences that he wrote about in Jupiter's travels over the four years that he was on the road. Today, Ted lives in France. He is 92 years old and still doing fine. He's active, he's still riding albeit on a scooter, I think more now than a motorcycle. So today, I once again have the pleasure of having Ted Simon on the show. And this time we're looking back on Ted's life and in various ways. And we're going to see what there is to learn from, well, the interrupted life of Ted Simon. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Sam Manicum. Ted Simon. Austin Venn. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragoon. Helga Ferdos. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Graham Jarvis. Quentin Smote. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Ted Simon, and I, I uh, I'm a writer. Often confused as a biker because I also ride motorcycles and uh, 
And that's what I, and those are the two things I do, although I do more writing now than I do biking, because I am, after all, 92 years old, and I think sooner or later it's going to catch up with me. Um, I've got a, a, I've got two bikes at, at this moment. One is uh, a BMW Fundura that I bought secondhand in 1997 and used to ride around in Europe when I was over here. And, uh, and that's the one that I think I'm going to be selling now because it's just, it's just a little too heavy for me. I think I'm, I'm afraid that I might not be able to pick it up. And I don't really think one should ride a bike that you can't pick up. Anyway, I've got that, and I've also got uh, a, a, a more recent version of the of the MP3 with the two wheels in the front that I used when I was doing my book about the the British Isles, and uh, that that's very comfortable to ride, and I've got no problems with that. So I'll just probably go on doing that. It's a it's got a pretty big engine, so I could go anywhere anywhere at all with it. Really. That's the story. That's it up to you, Jim. <laughs> Ted, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. And uh, thank you for having me one more time. Yeah. It's just so nice to, to have a time to sit down and chat again. I think the last time is a couple of years ago. Actually, it was it was it was when you turned ninety, because what we talked about <laughs> yeah. was the fact that it was you turned ninety and you were still riding your motorcycles. That's right. Yes, turning ninety was a horrible experience. Everybody, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know why everybody's fixated on these these numbers with noughts at the end of them, you know, and I was so glad when I turned 91 and nobody said, oh, he's turned 91. <laughs> didn't. Uh. Yeah, yeah, but it's going to be that way with the next one. I mean, when you turn 100, it's gonna, you're going to have to go through the same garbage again. You're quite right, but I think maybe I'll have got used to it by then. I'll be ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> you said at the start there, you said you're, you're often confused with a with a motorcyclist, you're a rider. First of all, I think it's interesting yeah. that at 92 years old, you're you're still considering yourself a rider. You're not saying I'm retired. I actually retired in 1967. That's the last last time I actually had a job. So so let's not anybody get confused about that. <laughs> I've been retired for 50 years. Um, right. But, but <laughs> <laughs> that's self-employed, though, really. Well, if you like, yes, but I mean, it wasn't really, you know, you retiring. It seems to me that you have to retire from a job, don't you? You have to retire from something. I, I guess you could look. You at can't it. just be retired, regardless of what, of what you were doing beforehand. <laughs> so you, now, the other thing, of course, was I said you you because you mentioned there that you don't, you're often confused as a uh, with a biker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of confusion in the language, too, because, uh, as you know, when you say you're a writer, no, no, nobody can tell whether you're saying writer or writer, because you're a, <laughs> it's true. kind of an American person. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I, I tell this story again and again, I'm going to tell it again now. Um, but when I finished my first journey in back in 1977, I was sitting in a that I was sitting down in a, in a, because I was relaxing after the ride. Uh, I was sitting, sitting down and two college girls, American college girls were, were sitting at my feet and they were saying, tell us about your riding. And, and so I, I talked to them. I didn't quite know why they wanted 
to know about it uh, or what they wanted to know about it. But that, but I said, oh, all right, well, you know, it's you, you, you're sitting. What's nice about it is you've got all this power under you, underneath you. You're sitting across across this power, and you're, you're sort of managing this machine. And, and and as I was talking, I could see their eyes were beginning to 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 widen and become very very concerned because they actually weren't asking me about my writing at all. <laughs> They, they, they wanted me to tell them about my writing, and and I think and they, they were trying to understand what all these metaphors meant and what all this business about power and and, and swerving and directions and so. Yes, so you can get unstuck like that very easily. Right. Well, that's one confusion of it, but the other confusion is 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 you actually see a difference between the, you as a as a writer and a rider. Yes, absolutely, I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've written a lot of things that have nothing to do with riding, and so, uh, so, so, so I, I, pref- I prefer to be thought of as a writer. The pe- people, the people are. Uh, I have to say this, uh, even though one shouldn't, but it's true. But people are always telling me that that my book did all sorts of things for them, and by my book, they always only mean one book, which is Jupiter's Travels. <laughs> And I've written eight or nine books, and and uh, and and some people think that one or other of these other books is maybe even better than Jupiter's Travels. But I can't get people off it. You know, it's always <laughs> it's always Jupiter's Travels, and and so of course I'm a biker, and that's it. You know. Right, you're sort of uh, you're you're coined as that, and, and left in that capacity, and not seen anything else. And and you you've just written another book, which really doesn't have anything to do with motorcycling. That came out, uh, I guess, a year or more ago, called "Don't Boil the Canary." Yes. Talk about that book. <laughs> well, that, that the thing is, the thing is, I only really, um, I I only really hit hit the big time <laughs> after. After I'd, I'd done that journey in the 70s, and 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 I've always been very open about my feelings and you know who I am and so on. It's in the book, and so people know me very well, I think, from reading Jupiter's Travels and congratulations to the ones that went on and read some of the others. Um, but nobody knew anything about who I was until 1973, and uh, I thought I thought I'd make make a stab at trying to to tell that story. First of all, because I thought it would be interesting for my kids and um, and people who usually uh, forget to ask all the right questions until you're dead, mm-hmm. and and I thought I thought it would be Good to get it down on paper, but as as it went along, I I thought, well, you know, it's, I am a writer after all, so I thought maybe this will turn into a book. I didn't know who would read it, and uh, and and I I I thought it would be fun to maybe take a page, a very small page, out of Charles Dickens' book, you know, and and, and publish it on my website as a serial, and see who. Um, who wanted to read the next chapter, and it, it it seemed to have worked really quite well. People were interested, and so finally, after churning through sixty 
46 different chapters and I, I turned it into a book. And people, the people who were reading it all promised to buy the book. So, so that kind of paid for the book. But it was, right. it was quite nice. I mean, it never made, it's not a way to make a fortune, but, but at least you can. <laughs> Get something published. <laughs> well, not anyone can do it either. I mean, you've got to have people that are interested in your life in particular, because I mean, every, I mean, every life is a story. I guess in one way you could say, but what makes yeah. it interesting is the is the the way it's framed. Well, sure, I know. I know that if I hadn't gone on and done anything by the time of, after after I was forty two, nobody would have wanted to read the book. Sure, it all hangs together, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned there about, um, you know, when, when people talk about the book, they're talking about Jupiter's Travels, yes. your book yes. of, of your first trip around the world. Now, and that's hugely successful. It's been successful for you for your, your entire life, ever since you wrote it. Yes. What yes. about the other side of that? Has it, has it made it difficult, like you're saying about, like you're trying to get people, like, you know, I don't know, to recognize your other work, but it, but you've sort of been cast, as you said, in the biker thing. And I think that's something yeah. you always talk about is um, the fact that, you know, you're more of a traveler than a biker. Uh, you, you, I mean, I don't even know how much of a biker is you, you've ever seen yourself. It didn't seem like it's very much. But what's it been like trying to, like, I mean, you obviously love the success of Jupiter's Travels, but what's it been like trying to survive as that is always being the, the the measuring stick that everything else is compared to. Well, um, I, I'm, I admit that it would be nice to have had some more recognition from 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 those areas where biking is not of any significance. I mean, you know, the the literary establishment has paid no attention to me at all. Um, and uh, and I nobody's offered me a knighthood, although <laughs> one of my readers recently said that it would be nice if I could finish up as Sir Ted. I asked him if we could crowdfund crowdfund it, <laughs> but, 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 but but you know I've kind of got used to it. I, I accepted my fate, um, and uh, and it's of course it's. It's looked after me very well, you know. Everything, every, everything that I have probably now is due to Jupiter's travels and uh, the fact that half a million people or so bought it. Um, but, but uh, you know, there's always that lingering feeling that it would be. I could have done with a few more. Accolades <laughs> from, <laughs> from not from non biking people. It's a bit bit too late now, I suppose. Is that so you not talk about the monetary return of it? You're talking about just sort of the recognition of it. Has anything come oh, yeah. close? No, no, nothing, not really. Um, something might have evolved just before COVID struck. Uh, a very good friend called Ian Harper. And his girl, girlfriend um, wanted to start a literary festival, and uh, and they, and, which was a very good idea. They found a lovely place to do it in, and and, uh, and they got Joanna Lumley and a few other people to come along in it, and and they um, asked me if I would join in and support it. And I imagine that had that happened, I I might have actually found myself sitting next to 
a few more literary people than I usually meet. Mm. But uh, I'm afraid COVID struck down all my arrogant thoughts of progress and <laughs> progressing in, in society. So I, I, I've settled back now and accept my, my delicious fate. And it's very, I'm, I mean, I'm really very happy, I'm very well off. Uh, I've got absolutely no, no problems at all with it, really. You know, with with COVID, you, you everybody's got their story of COVID of what what it's messed up for them and different things they've had to delay or change or whatever. But what I'm surprised, I'm hearing more now are stories of things that worked out well for people. You know, first we got all the stories about how everybody you know lost everything and you know lost different things, like you're saying. But now it seems like people are starting to reflect a little bit on some. Well, you know what good, what really good came from this. Do you have anything like that? Did you ever get anything good out of COVID? The only good thing about COVID for me is that it, none, it never affected me at all. I, I, I live I live in a part of the world where um, nobody even mentions it. I was apparently one or two people got it, <laughs> but 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 really, it, the the only the only downside of it was when the French, because I live in France. I, I live in France, and uh, and for a for a. For a while, I forget whether it was a whole year, maybe just a few months, actually. Um, you had to have a piece of paper if you went out of the house uh, to tell to tell any nosy gendarmes around where you were going. But but uh, honestly, I was never never ever stopped by a policeman, and and, uh, and it never hampered me at all, and and I never paid any attention to it. It was just the bloody mask. You know, it's awful yeah. having to wear masks. Yes, that, that was terrible. And you, you had to wear it for a while. But that was it. So, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm useless as a, as a testament to your desire to make, <laughs> to, to make COVID sound like a lovely thing. It, it was <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. It's a horrible thing. Yeah. And, and we went, went through hell, but I, I think it's the same as anything. It's kind of like when you're, when you're out on a trip and things go terribly wrong and it's really a bad situation, but afterwards you reflect yeah, on it and you go, yeah. Hey, you know, this was really sure. cool because I, I think that's kind of what it is. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. And I think probably for, for some people, um, I'll dig around if you like and see if I can find some good stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I personally have, <laughs> I haven't personally heard of any, no. I, I just want to go back to the book. I mentioned it, Don't Boil the Canary, and, mm. and other words gleaned from my interrupted life. So this is a story about your your life sort of coming up to Jupiter's travels. Is that what it was? It's the whole thing. Yes, I mean, it was a whole life, you know. Yeah. I, I had, uh, I, I started off as a, I started off as a baby. <laughs> Did you? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I was very young then. <laughs> I've and, always wondered that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stealing my lines from another comedian, um, but but uh, I had a I, I had a fairly unusual sort of beginning because I, I, my mother was had come come to England from Germany in 1928, and by the time she was pregnant, she was already not getting on very well with my dad, and. Uh, and she wanted she she wanted to be with her own family, and so she she went to Germany and got me born there, and uh, came back very very soon after, 
and uh, and then they went through a divorce. But so so I I I was born in Germany, so I can never I can never call myself English because mm. you can't be English if you're not born in England. And and having to explain all this, so I, I my mother and I were alone in the world pretty much, and uh, and uh, moved around a bit and. And so there was there was plenty to say about that and the blitz and the bombs and all that, and then I I, I decided I wanted to become a chemist and so I started my life doing chemistry and went to Imperial College and and halfway through that experience I realised I didn't want to do that at all and went off to Paris and did other things and so so it's a it's a very it's a sort of an interesting journey. And uh, uh, as I said in the book, you know, the, the interruptions are the journey, and and, that, and that's also equally true of my my life up until the journey, because there were lots of interruptions, and each one led to something that was even better than what I'd been doing before. So, so there, there's a moral in there somewhere. Mm, so that's from Jupiter's Travels, that line, uh, the interruptions are the journey. And that's, I guess, why you're saying the other words of wisdom gleaned from my interrupted life. Yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. What does don't boil the canary mean? What does it reference? <laughs> well, it was a reference to a stupid thing I did. And uh, I'm tempted to say you have to read the, the book, but well, I, you, I'm you can fed up that. with that. No, no, I'm fed up with that line. People are always <laughs> saying, well, what, what, what do you what do you mean Jupiter? What's that about? And I have to say you have to read the book. <laughs> but but I, 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 well, I won't I won't I won't hold you on tenter hooks any longer. Um, during the war, a, a friendly V bomb came rushing down over over my head and went into a big block of flats where a friend of mine lived and practically demolished it. And uh, and I went down there to see what it was all about because at 12 you know, you, know you, you you don't tend to have very strong um sentiments about people you're much more interested in in all the noise and the and the, the goings on so on so so i went i went down there and uh and struggled around over the ruins and i found this um canary in a in a battered cage and it was still alive and and i i took it home and kept it alive for about a day and then it died it was it obviously had ptsd or something <laughs> and, uh, and and i thought i've got this dead canary <laughs> and i thought about all the the uh, things that I'd seen in the Natural History Museum of skeletons of dinosaurs and things like that. And I thought it'd be interesting to see what the skeleton of a canary looked like. Uh, the only way to get the flesh off the bones, I thought, was to boil it. But of course, that was absolutely the most ridiculous idea. <laughs> it was the nastiest mess you've ever thought of. And, 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 and it says, uh, so if I have a motto in my life, it's it's, it's don't boil the canary. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and, I can I can imagine what your mom must have said when she comes home and finds the mess. Yeah, I don't remember that. 
I, I, I tend to forget the unpleasant things in my life. Yeah, yeah. When you're when you're doing that, you're writing a book about stuff that was so, from so long ago. How do you remember it? I mean, I mean, some of the details you have in there, I just I, I don't know how you could remember that stuff. Well, I don't know either. <laughs> I can't help you. I, I I don't know. I mean, there's of course ninety nine point nine percent of everything in my life I've forgotten. So I don't. I I I just put down the things that I do remember, and and, uh, and and the things I do remember, I seem to remember really well. Uh, quite why that is, I can't say. But I, I wish I, I wish it was a transferable gift. I mean, I, I wish I could use it to remember the things that I really want to remember, but it doesn't seem to work that way at all. No, I, lo- I, you know, I lose everything. I never, I never know where anything is. Um, <laughs> I, I, my, my hands and my and my my hands and my body are completely disconnected. The hand, I pick I pick things up and put them down. And I have no idea what my hands are doing. No idea where anything is. It's it's all hopeless. Uh, but I do have this one this one ability to remember the things that I that happened. Certain things I re- re- remember really very well in detail. There was somebody there was somebody reviewing my book. In America, who, who flatly refused to believe that that it was that anything in it was real, he said it's impossible for anyone to remember all this stuff, and, uh, and he said it was just a piece of fiction. I mean, that's very unkind, isn't it? But that's yeah. the, especially when you have no way to back up much of it because it's just your word against someone else's sort of thing. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Do you find it as you get older, do, does your memory change? Do you remember like some more detailed things about when you're younger as you get older? Um, well, the other funny thing about that, I, I, I might as well say, is that when I have written about things, I, I then forget them. <laughs> mm. I mean, I know that they're, they're down there on paper, but, but I don't any longer have that very vivid memory of, of them because I put it all into the into the writing, I think, uh, which is really quite odd. Um, so I don't, I, I don't think that's happening to me, no. I think that's what was happening four or five years ago when I was thinking about all this stuff. But it doesn't happen to me now. You mean no, when you were young, four or five no. years ago? Yes, in my yeah. youth, <laughs> when, I was eight, when I was 80 something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it 90- must be very odd. It must be very odd for you to have to deal with people of my age. Actually, actually, I find it fascinating because I feel like that I'm talking to almost like a like an astronaut or something when I talk with someone who's, who's older than me because I feel like you have been there and you've experienced it. It's like when I when I when I talk to my doctor, my doctor's you know 25 years younger than I am, and I'm thinking, and he tells me something about aging, and it's like you don't understand aging until you're there. Okay, you can you can conceptualize all you want, you can talk about it, but it means nothing until you've actually lived through it. When you live through it, mm. ah, now all of a sudden I understand, and that's what I feel like when I'm talking with somebody like yourself. Is that I, yeah. I feel like I'm getting an insight? Yeah, I I think I was expecting to feel much older than I do, <laughs> so mm. I, I'm not sure that I'm really. Thank thankfully for my for myself, uh, and, re, uh, and and of course, regardless of how other people see me, I've I've no idea how they see me, but I I don't feel 
especially old, I just feel like somebody with a, a, a few things missing. Like, as I said, you know, I don't remember where things are anymore. Right. Stuff like that. Or, or like but, you're, but, you're inside it, an aging body sort of thing, but you're much younger at, at, yeah. in the mind. Well, that's true. That's true. And I'm very unhappy about my legs because, you know, I can, I can, I can still get up and down stairs and do all those things. But I'm very aware of the fact that I, they're not as resilient as I'd like them to be. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think I could kick a football very far. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 one of the things about somebody my age is that it, you don't know how seriously to take it. You, you don't. Uh, part of the time you think it makes no difference at all. Then other times you think, um, that if something really difficult were to come along, you wouldn't be able to cope with it. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to know what to do. I mean, people say you mustn't, you mustn't climb ladders, for example. Mm-hmm. I can't think, I can't really think of any reason why I shouldn't climb a ladder because obviously I can, but uh, maybe there's some reason, maybe the experience, of, of old people is that they fall off ladders and maybe I'm going to fall off a ladder. So it's, it's, it's difficult to make the judgments, you know, and I don't, I don't like to cut out everything simply because of my age. I don't stop doing things just because don't be, don't be silly. You're 92. You can't do that. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Well, especially now, because it seems that, you know, people are living older and we're doing more at our age. Like I even think of myself at my age and think of what my parents were doing at my age and they're, they're not here anymore, but it's, it's, uh, I feel like I am doing much more and I'm living a, uh, dare I say a younger life than what my parents yeah. were. And, and do you think that's, do you think that's a function of history or do you think it's just that they, that, that, that they, um, as it were, damp themselves down. I, I think because- it's... A- yeah, I think it's a bit of a combination. I think a part of it is mindset. You know, it's like the the four-minute mile, right? You know, before yeah. they, they had all the doctors writing about the four-minute mile saying how, you know, it's impossible for the human body to run it. Once it was broken, yeah. I think Roger Bannister, yeah. and then all of a sudden right. high school kids are doing it, right? So I think part of yeah. it is a mindset you you do. And it, just like you're saying, like an old person yeah. shouldn't climb a ladder. Well, why? I mean, if I can still climb a ladder. So part of it is that. But yeah. part of it, I mean, you have to admit, is, is genetics. It's, it's not of my control it's nothing that you know i haven't been you know done anything special in my life i'm still flexible yeah. and able to do things i mean i'm not that old but, yeah you know and yeah, I, mean, so I think i think that's how you go along i think if it's always uh, it's a permanent assessment that is i suppose that is the big difference the big difference is that when when you're 40 50 even 60 you don't you don't think about these things at all but when, when you're older, when you're older, you know you cannot help you, the, the number of, the number of years. You can't help that number coming up. You know, every now and again, I I have to say to myself, "But you're 92," and then mm-hmm. I think, "Oh shit, I didn't really want to say that." You know, <laughs> I don't want to know about that. <laughs> then it comes up. It keeps coming up. <laughs> right. It's like a different yeah. chapter. I mean, I, I sort of see life as chapters, you know, that we go through. 
significant events or eras, you know, that, that, um, yeah. that signify change in our life. Like, like you, you yeah. must, how, how many chapters do you think you've had in your life? Oh, well, um, one, two, three, four, uh, five. Uh, I can think of six or seven at the moment. Yeah. And what are they? Well, um, my my childhood with my mother was a chapter, of course. Um, chemistry was a chapter. Then from there, going to Paris and getting into journalism by sheer chance, uh, it was another. Actually, there are more chapters than I thought. Um, uh, uh, coming back to England and going into the Air Force and and using the, the RAF shamelessly to further my interests by, <laughs> by, by persuading them to let me produce a magazine. Um, uh, that, that was definitely a chapter. And, and then the consequence of that was Fleet Street and all the, all the business of being in Fleet Street, as it was in those days. It was a chapter. And then the magazine that I that I invented and and produced and edited, and that lasted for several years, and that uh, I, that was that was very important. That was a chapter, and that led almost immediately through a very wild and wonderful time. It led me to this ruin in France, which when I turned into a stonemason, and so forth. For several years, that was the most important thing in my life. So there's a chapter. And then after that, I went on that marvelous, ridiculous journey around the world, um, which which I thought nobody had ever done. And uh, I said they didn't meet anybody doing it. So so that and the book that followed it were really a very big chapter. And uh, and then after that, the desire to do something very different took me to California, where I sort of accidentally pioneered organic farming because uh, nobody else was doing what I was doing. I, 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 I bought a piece of land with the, with the proceeds from Jupiter's Travels, and I uh, turned it into a vegetable. Uh, it wasn't a garden, it was a, it was a proper sort of truck farm, if you like. And, and, uh, and all of that happened purely accidentally. I knew nothing about farming, really. But I, I, I knew that it was a good thing to do. And I had this land, and I thought, really, I ought to put, make some use of it. And there happened to be a lot of very talented gardeners running around the valley at that time with nothing to do because the, the person who brought them all there had gone off and died. And, and so because because they were there and because I had the land and, and also partly because my domestic situation wasn't very happy and I didn't feel like writing, um, so I invented this, uh, this farm. And the only way to sell the produce from this farm um, was to take it to the city, which was four hours away. Because in my, where I was living in this small 
in this small valley. No, nobody, no, none of the, the people who've lived in their right minds would, would pay the price for organic vegetables when, when they could get all this cheap stuff coming up the, the, the freeway from Mexico. So I took my, my three quarters of a ton of vegetables down to the Bay Area every week and met the Mexican trucks coming up the other way. Um, and, uh, and, and I created a sort of society, a, a community in the Bay Area of people who bought my vegetables to support farm. And that was, that was what then became community-supported agriculture, CSA. Um, and as far as I know, mine was actually the first farm in California to do that. So that was a chapter. Yeah. That was a chapter. Mm. going to take just a quick break while I tell you about a couple of things. When we come back, we get a lot more to talk about, including whether Ted thinks that travel is still as relevant now as when he was on the road in 1973 and on, with so many technological advances that we have now of seeing and experiencing the world. Is it really as relevant now when we can experience the world through all these different ways as it was back then? Stay with us. I used to think of a throttle lock as kind of an accessory, something that's cool to have under your bike that maybe on occasion it adds to your riding experience. And that was it. But the Atlas throttle lock, that changed everything for me. It changed my my view on what a throttle lock is because the other throttle locks I've tried over the years, they're, they're kind of toy-like in design. None were truly reliable as a throttle lock. A matter of fact, I didn't even understand really how good it could be until I got an Atlas throttle lock. The Atlas, because of the way they designed it, because of the way it functions, it functions more of of an integral part of my motorcycle rather than something that I've just clipped on. But it's got these two buttons on it, which are the main thing you're going to deal with. These two buttons, one for engage, one for disengage. These buttons are designed so well that they have this tactile feedback that lets you know exactly what you're doing without having to look at it. You just press one button, the throttle lock is engaged. You want to disengage, you press the other button. When it's engaged, you don't need to release it to change your speed. You just twist your throttle, add more, take some off. It's built into the Atlas system. Now, the real game, I think the true value for me is that when the Atlas throttle lock is engaged, it allows me to release the tension from my fingertips to my shoulder, really, from that gripping action that I always have on the right hand. You've got it too. And the weird thing is, is you don't realize how much you're gripping, how stiff that arm, the wrist, the forearm is until you're able to just loosen that off. It's real. The Atlas Throttle Lock reduces riding fatigue. That not only makes a ride better, but it makes it safer. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen. That's the motto for Cyclops Adventure Sports. Cyclops produces a huge line of lighting and accessories for all motorcycles from auxiliary lighting to CAN bus connectors to LED headlight replacements and their Evo turn signal inserts, which I absolutely love. These things are amazing. They turn your front turn signals into super bright driving lights until you turn the turn signal on and then the bright driving light changes to a turn signal. That whole thing, that action 
that commands attention from vehicles in front of you. Not to mention it gives you added light if you're in a, a dimly lit area or if it's at, in, the, in the dark. In the back, same sort of thing. Takes your rear turn signals, turns them into super bright taillights. But man, when you touch that brake, they turn into unbelievably bright brake lights that scream stop to the cars behind you. They, they also function as turn signals as well. They, they continue that, that turn signal function they have from the factory. Amazing system I've got on my bike. It's truly impressive. It's same as changing out your dull incandescent lights for LED lights for all, everything, for turn signals, for your headlights, all of that stuff. Reduces power, but also commands attention. That's what we want. We want to be seen on the road. Now, remember that all LEDs are not created equally. You can find LEDs that are marked Cree LEDs. They're not going to be great if they're super cheap. Buy from a reputable company that stands behind their name. And Cyclops is a family-owned business, a family of riders. And you know what riders are like? They always want to go out and help other riders because, well, we've got pride in, in, in what we're involved with here with motorcycling. Cyclops Adventure Sports is the company. CyclopsAdventureSports.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. CyclopsAdventureSports.com. You know, when you drop your bike, have you ever stopped to look at what contacts the ground most? Quite often, it's the foot peg. It'll be folded up and jammed in the mud and rocks. Foot pegs are in a location that is prone to abuse. And because of that, foot pegs need to be incredibly tough. That's why IMS products put so much engineering and R&D into their foot pegs. Because when they started out, IMS, back in 1976, they were making parts for racers. And they very quickly learned that parts needed to be made extremely well engineered with a very high level of durability. And we benefit from that now. That's what their full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs are designed like. Incredibly tough, incredibly well-designed. And a properly modified foot peg like IMS makes gives you more leverage for handling a heavy adventure motorcycle, better connection to your feet, far more durability than your stock pegs, and you're going to eke out even more from your skills that you already have. I'm not talking about increasing your skills. Those skills you already have, you'll get more out of them by having the correct tool for the job. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. That's what, chapter 11, I guess you, you could say. You know, you, you finished farming, you wrote the book. Uh, what's yeah. the next chapter? I, crossed, I walked across Europe. Um, yeah, I, I thought that if I walked across Europe from my mother in Germany to my father in Romania, it w I would be moving slowly enough to understand more about how people in the Balkans in these Eastern European countries felt. And it was a very good time to do it because it was not very long after the, um, the collapse of the Soviet Union and Eastern Germany was still pretty much the way it had been. Um, and I got a lot of insights into why a lot of people in Eastern Germany were not happy about the wall having come down. Although we were all told, of course, that the whole of Germany, East Germany was longing for freedom. Um, uh, because it depends on the kind of person you are. You know, if you want, if all you want is safety and security and, and childcare for your kids, then the old system was actually better. So anyway, you know, those are the sorts of things that I was finding out as I went along. And uh, the, the war in Bosnia was going on 
full tills and I, I got some some insights into why it was happening and uh, but the, but the, the the other great bonus was that although I, I, my father had come from Romania I knew almost nothing really about what had happened uh, why he had left it and uh, I eventually was able to find uh, the the place he was born in and and then the place that his parents took him to in the south of Romania where where his father having been a humble roofer in in the north in Botashan um, became apparently a very highly respected dealer in grain um, hmm. and Romania used to be the breadbasket of Europe most of the grain Eaten in Europe came off those big rolling plains in Romania. Anyway, um, the journey across Europe was very interesting, and I wrote a book called The Gypsy in Me, and uh, and a lot of people like it very much. So there again is another chapter. The next chapter. Ah, yes. Uh, well, the next chapter was that... Um, I came back to the house in Northern California, and um, and I was uh, really feeling very, really rather lonely there. And it wasn't enough to have a lot to do. My wife and I had been divorced for some time. And while I was there, somebody that I'd met on my walk through Europe um, wrote to me to tell me that um, that her husband had gone to Canada with the kids and she divorced him and and uh, she loved me. And so uh, this this is a, a difficult one to, to talk about and I don't know that I even really want to. But, but I spent uh, some years in in uh, in Covalo in, in, in my, on my property in Covalo um, trying to work things out and uh, and eventually, I, I realized eventually that I, I didn't really want to be there anymore. I was, it, it, was, too, um, it was too lonely. The, the, there weren't enough people around to keep me interested. And the marijuana business was flourishing. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't producing any great conversation. Uh, so, this was your uh, marijuana industry? <laughs> no, it wasn't mine. The whole valley oh, was see. full of it. Yeah. And uh, so I decided I needed to come back to France. Um, so I'm, I'm now living in a in a town not very far away from where that ruined gatehouse was that I was restoring, and and, um, and I'm feeling very very good. Got a, a a nice person to live with. We're both both quite literate. <laughs> we can talk to each other, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and uh, and I like I like the French, despite the curious desire to go out and smash windows, and as they are at the moment, apparently, yes. and sort of uh, the way to deal with it is probably not to go around smashing things. I think it's just mm -hmm. a general, just a, a general sense that people are rather are rather lost, and they can't see they can't see a way forward. I'm afraid this is going to hit all of us, you know, because the way the way things are in the world now, 
there's there's not really a great not much opportunity to make uh, personal progress unless you're a maniac or or you know a psycho sociopath at the very least. Um, I, I, sorry. The, the the cake has been unevenly divided for too long, and I think we're going to, so the, the chickens are coming home to roost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me take you back to the chapters, though. You, you've returned to France. Is that is that the is that the chapter you're in right now? Is that is that your yes? Your, that's your where chapter's I, been. That's where yeah, you are. that's where I am. Can't imagine I'll be going into another one very. Doesn't seem likely. Um, who knows? Who knows? Miracles may happen. <laughs> so you mean you, you kind of mentioned there about your the the one relationship that you're you're sort of reluctant to talk about. But mm. has has do you feel like life's always worked out for you? I mean, have you have you really got what you wanted? Have have there <clears> been hard <throat> times? No, um, I've had I've had hard experiences. But they've always been very short. I I don't like to dwell on unpleasant things. If some if if life turns turns rotten, um, I'll change it. I I I'm very, and I think I've been maybe accidentally very smart because I've never really allowed myself to get um, deeply indebted. To anybody or anything, um, most people who would love to change their lives find themselves locked in by property and uh, and, and family, of course, and uh, uh, and even pets. You know, just not able to leave their dog. Um, I mean, I, I've always found the, the ability to change to make changes to move so that's it's always been a very important thing for me and I, I to the to the extent that it's possible or available to people it's what I would recommend and really don't um, get yourself tied up certainly not too early in life anyway is part of that luck or or is it all just making the right decisions it's both. It's a bit of both, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, you know, it's. I guess there's 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 also something in my nature which doesn't really want me to become totally in, embedded in a particular way of life, and uh, and so when things. When things become uncomfortable or, or, or really uncomfortable, I, I, I tend to move. I, I suppose people who, uh, who don't have that uh, sense of mobility in them are maybe likely to take other steps. But, but I think you need the freedom to do it. Uh, otherwise, you get ground down, I think, by, by risk. You don't want to be, you don't, you don't want to be spending your life doing stuff that you don't care for simply because um, because you're you're laboring under a, a, an obligation um, yeah. that you can't shift you know we're in an era now where where that's 
it, it's almost impossible not to fall into for, for young people. I really feel for young people nowadays because it, it's all about, you know, as far as like you look at society's values and I'm not even sure where they all come from now, but uh, probably a lot of it's to do, do with social media, but society's values, you know, they, they judge, you get judged on what you have and what you look like you have, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And things are so mm-hmm. easy to get today and pay later. I mean, everything today, I mean, I'm, I'm, right. I've talked yeah. to this before. I'm stunned that you can buy virtually anything, a $5 item and make payments on it, which blows That's my right. mind. The, the one that really got me was listening to an advertisement for Mother's Day and it was right before Mother's Day and it said, you don't have to pay for, for 14 or 18 months. I think it's what it said. And I thought that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, like, what do you, yeah. you, you're just on yeah. a downward spiral at that point, but yeah, it's so easy yeah. to fall into nowadays and people are falling yeah. into it and, and do find themselves trapped because you're selling your future, aren't you? What happens next Mother's Day? when you're still yeah. paying for the previous Mother's yeah. Day. Yeah, what do you do then? You haven't even made a payment sort of thing on it, and, <laughs> and you're up to, against another one. And I think that is yeah. is sort of uh, indicative of what you see today. You know, it's it's just yeah. too easy to get in deep. And I didn't, I never had student debt. I mean, student debt must be terrible. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, re- I was reading something today about a, a woman in Texas who... Who, who was lucky enough to be able to make $95,000 out of her having been Miss Texas. And and this, it said, made a dent in her student debt. Oh. A dent. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's utterly ridiculous. We mm. mentioned about the books that you've written. We talked a little bit about that. Most of those books, most of the things you've written about are about travel. And, and, um, I mean, travel has been significant for humans really in so many ways. I mean, it's, it's, it's exploration of, of cultures and traditions and ways of life and landscape. And, and you have a personal growth, uh, or you have personal growth by discovering the unknown, at least unknown to you. I mean, just, just 30 years ago, for instance, we could only catch a glimpse of foreign places or through books and articles and things like National Geographic. You'd look at something in National Geographic and you'd think, that is so incredible. You know, and to, to experience that, you would actually have to travel there. Like to find much more about it, you'd have to travel there. But now, nowadays, the mm-hmm. smartphone is in everyone's hand. Everyone is looking at, at stuff from around the world. I mean, we follow people on YouTube. You know, I don't know personally, but I'm saying people follow people on YouTube that uh, learning about their lives in a different country that you would, in such an intimate way that you would never get before. I mean, you can really experience what someone's life is like you know, as a, as a, let's say a, a nomadic herder, you know, in Kazakhstan or something like that in, in ways you never could before. So w- what do you think that, um, how do you feel that travel fits into this now? I mean, is travel as important as what it was, you know, not long ago, 30 years ago, maybe when you started traveling, when you were young, it, does travel still hold that importance? Because the mystery's not really there anymore. Well, the thing is that, as you say, people get a, a, a sense of what it might be like to be a, a, a camel herder in Mongolia. Um, if they have camels, I don't know. Um, but all they get is a, a, a visual experience and maybe sound but they have no idea really what it's actually like to be there. Um, and the kind of travel that's open to most people 
who can't afford very much time traveling anyway, um, tends really to be a very uh, a, 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 a travel in a bubble. You're 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 going to places just just to look um, and, and maybe listen, but not actually participate. And most of the, most most travel doesn't even allow for traveling to difficult places. So I, I think there's every good reason for individuals to to go and find out what it what life not only what life is really like in distant places and threatened places, but also to uh, to feel it for themselves. And if you if you travel in the way that I did. Um, you, you do get a much better idea of what's actually going on in the world. But you're quite right to say that back in the day when I started my first journey, it, we were really very ignorant of the world. And that's what got me going. Uh, the, you know, there were a few pictures, as you say, there was National Geographic um, and uh, as I worked on newspapers, then I remember how difficult it was to get pictures sent from different parts of the world and how expensive it was. And, uh, of course, all that changed now. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I, to answer your question, I really do think that tra traveling as opposed to excursions and, and cruises and, and uh, pure, purely... Um, in things purely done for for enjoyment without hardship i think that i don't think those things are worth very much but but real personal travel i think is still a very good idea because it does help us it does help a certain number of us at least to have a good idea of what kind of problems the world is facing you're talking about the kind of travel where you have time not not your two week vacation Absolutely, yes. Of course, you have to have time. Mm -hmm. You have to have time, and, and preferably, you have to have all the time in the world. I mean, that's the that's that's the best thing is to sell up and go. And I know a lot of people have done that and, and are traveling all the time. Um, but, but I think that that is actually very very useful. Uh, in the larger scheme of things, I don't know how useful. I couldn't possibly quantify it, but. It's uh, certainly very useful to the traveler because the traveler begins to understand just where they are in the world and how to survive in it so much, which is a very good thing. As I mentioned about technology and, and being at our fingertips, particularly at the with our phones that everyone seems to carry everywhere, <laughs> even when they're walking down the road, looking at mm -hmm. them every few seconds, checking for more things. There's so much information coming at us from so many different places. I think we're aware of so many things in the world that we weren't aware of before and stuff is it obviously comes very, very quickly. Something that happens in one country today, we're very likely to hear about if it's significant at all. What role do you think travel plays in, in still in shaping empathy, understanding, compassion for us? Well, the point is that all that stuff you're talking about that comes over the phone, doesn't actually have any substance at all. It's uh, it's just stuff uh, um, broadcast for for its novelty and 
Um, it doesn't doesn't require any any action on the part of the person receiving it. It does you don't you don't doesn't change your life. It doesn't modify what you do. It, at the very at the very most, it might just um, motivate you to drop a few pennies into a into a slot somewhere. Um, so so that's. Uh, that is a completely different thing to actually going there to be somewhere and and uh, and see what it's like mm. to to live there and, and meet the people and experience their hardship yourself you know. or or experience the wonderful the wonderful things that they enjoy you know as I I, I mean my my original impetus to go traveling was because of a, a BBC program that I saw in 1973 that showed me pictures of people who look absolutely wonderful on the beach in the southern, in a tropical island in the Pacific. And the, and the program was telling me how poor and miserable they were. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'd never seen people looking better or more, more vigorous in my life. And so you know that that of course is an absurd exaggeration, but nonetheless it made me think there's something wrong about the way the world is portrayed to us, and I think some of that is also the same is is mirrored in these any of this information that you get uh, uh, over the internet or through YouTube or so. It's all it's all selected for a purpose. It's all uh, engineered, if you like. You're not you're not really getting. The reality you're getting a, a kind of imitation of it. Mm -hmm. We we mentioned that you just turned ninety two. By the way, happy birthday! Thank you. <laughs> Has it been a long road getting to ninety two? It's been ninety two years of it. <laughs> Does um, it feel like ninety two yeah. years? Because I know for me, I'm <laughs> I'm fifty seven. It doesn't feel like fifty seven years. No, no, I don't. I don't have any idea what ninety two years like. It actually feels like I've no idea at all. No, no, I should be. Uh, I uh, call call me again when I'm a hundred. We'll no, I will be because we have that set up already. Remember, we yes, we set that, that up a few years back. So that's right. we're, we're doing the 100 day <laughs> interview. But but my point was what is coming to you was is that time offers perspective, right? I mean. An example would be if somebody goes into their first day at work and they see things a certain way and they're going to miss a lot of what, what is actually there when they walk in. They're going to, going to think they've got a, a pretty good handle on things from their perspective, but the person that meets them that's been there for 20 years is going to have a completely you know, different perspective. And, and the same could be said for life. You began writing back in the days when we had typewriters you wrote a carbureted motorcycle, which now we have fuel injection and all the other stuff. You hand wrote letters and sent them through the post. I could explain that more for those people who don't quite understand that, but we actually mailed letters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, right. but so much yeah. has changed in your time. And, and I'm curious how you feel about the modernization of our world, how you feel about the changes that you've seen over your, your 92 years. Is it working for us, do you think? Or are we perhaps, you know, distracted by what we can do as opposed to what we should be doing? Oh dear, this is very difficult. I, I, um, uh, I don't. 
I don't know whether life is really any better now than it was 50 years ago. Um, but a lot of people are going to scream and say, well, there are so many things you have now that you've never had then. And, and think of all the illnesses that that you could have had that have that have been conquered and disposed and so on. So, and all, all those things are true. But I don't know what I don't know whether life is really to be measured in terms of longevity or or in uh, relative prosperity. It's uh, th those are very difficult decisions I, that I can't. I tend not to think that. I tend to think that that life should not be measured in terms of comfort and possessions. And uh, uh, it should be measured in terms of opportunity. And, and, and I suppose to, to a degree there is much more opportunity to go places and do things now than, than there was. On the other hand, the, the pleasure of going and doing things is all the greater if it's something that's hard to do. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I think people who, who were able to do things and go places and think stuff were, were doing just as well 50 or 100 years ago as they are now. So, so these are not really questions that they're not valid. They're, 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 and and why why we are we're on this kind of roller coaster of change, um, and none of us really have any idea whether it's going to do us any good in the long run at all, do we? Well, not for sure. No, well, I mean, you get a sort of a sense for it as you're going, and of course, like I said, the perspective is only what you have. I mean, you can, you can read about history and certainly you can study history, I think, and, and get some kind of perspective, but it's another thing having lived through it, you know, and that's why I'm asking you at 92, I mean, you've seen a lot, yeah. you know, in, in, in that time period. And I think it's, um, this living through it gives you just a, a much more visceral connection to the changes that you see and to what you feel when, you know, I, I know a lot of people will say, oh, old people, they're curmudgeons, you know, they, they, they don't want to see change. I mean, if as you go through life, you've been through so many changes. Look at you came up with 14 chapters there that all represented massive changes in your life. Maybe that's more than the average, but it's a lot of change and you see that and you have a, a certain feel for it. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm curious that your feel, like, I mean, are we going down a, a path? Is it just change for the, you know, because it's change or is it, is it good? Well, I don't, I didn't do things because I want for the sake of changing. Um, no, I do things no, but I because, mean life in general I do for, things for because people I, to plan. You know, and, I, and I think people were always able to make make choices and do and 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 change things if if they were inspired to do so. And very, where that inspiration comes from um, is very different today than it was. But uh, well, is it very different? I'm not sure. I just said that it was, came out so easily, but. People did amazing things a hundred years ago. People made incredible journeys. People did extraordinary things, um, and and they would not be possible today because, as we both, as we've said earlier, um, you can't get lost anymore. You can't. There's no way you can 
Um, you can pretend to be outside civilization. You're always, yeah. Everybody's always in touch. So I'm, uh, the ch- changes come from inside, not, not from outside. They, they, they come because, because you've reached the point where you're not <clears throat> satisfying yourself anymore with what you're doing and you need to do something else. And, and of course, choices are, <clears throat> would be tailored by circumstance, but choice is always possible. So, so I'm, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't know whether, I don't really think people are better off now than they were. Um, the sort of person who doesn't welcome change and just wants to get through life is probably better off now than before because they're going to be able to go to McDonald's and things like that. Mm. I don't know that I've got awful, an awful lot of that, that's very useful to say about it. I, well, maybe you'll find among all this stuff that I've recorded, maybe you'll find some things worth saying. The thing is with changes, you you're the type of person you you haven't you don't find change difficult, right? Because you've went through so many changes in your life, big changes where you've moved from place country to country, different cultures. Yeah. It hasn't been difficult for you, so it's not like you're a curmudgeon that you know, dislikes change. Right. That's true. You know, so that's, uh, that's, I think it makes your perspective even more valid. You know, what you, what you're saying. I think that the main thing, the main thing is to be able to make the changes. And I was only able to make those changes because I'd left myself free to do so. Um, and some people might say that, uh, I must have lived a very impoverished life if I was never so closely attached to, to somebody that I would never dream of leaving them, for example, or, you know, that there is always that side of it. Mm-hmm. At 92, looking back now, what do you think is the most important thing in life? Not what you accomplished or did, but, but what do you think it should be important or should be important to humans in life? Well, just staying, staying awake. I'm not talking about woke. I'm talking about just, <laughs> Uh, just just staying awake and alive and, and and maintaining an interest in things and doing stuff I think that's what's important the important mm-hmm. thing is to be doing stuff and you have do you have concerns for for people as as we go forward or society as we come for, as we move forward in coming years because you'd mentioned that we're all going to have to deal with these things that are happening in our culture now yeah, I, that my concern is that we're that, that people don't realise what they're going to have to deal with, and that it's going to be very traumatic when they find mm-hmm. they they do, because everything is everything is hitting us at once, isn't it? Climate yeah, change and, and and poverty and shortage of resources. Elon Musk, every every. <laughs> <laughs> everything's going to hit us all at once and people aren't prepared for it. Do you find it any easier to deal with with all of those sorts of thoughts as you get older or does it become more difficult or do you just not bother dealing with them because you know it's only applicable to you for a certain amount of time? No, I, 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 no, I, I do deal with them, but I deal with them in terms of the particular things that I'm thinking of doing. I mean, what, you know, or writing or whatever I, I try to deal with them but uh i i i only 
you know, I can't pretend that I'm going to live forever, and so I, I don't, uh, I don't any more expect to, to make any um, very big changes. So, so my thoughts are more inward than they were. Is that what I'm pretending to do? Is I'm pretending to live forever at this point? <laughs> Probably. You may, you may Probably. be right. Yeah. You know, it's it's, one yes, of the, it's yes, like yes. when you're young, you don't ever think you'll be old. You yeah, cannot yeah. picture it. Yeah. I mean, unless you've got some some reason to think that that fate is going to come and smite you, I, I, you probably are. Yeah. You don't think you don't think about life ending, do you? Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's very difficult. I mean, I certainly try, and it's like I said before about you know comparing the person that came into the job from the first day. I certainly try, but I I think as I get older, I think I'm a little more aware of the limitations of that thought process of trying to project <laughs> forward. You know, I realize I, I, that yeah, I don't see why you should. I mean, there's no reason for you to be thinking about your end. I I, I don't think. I don't think about my end at all. It's kind of imposed on me simply because I am aware that my body is not functioning as well as it did. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, so I know something's something's going to happen eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but may, if maybe you maybe if you if you don't have that, you know, there's no reason at all for you to be thinking about death, or the end of it all. No. no, why? Why the hell would you? No. Yeah. I mean, like, like you know, remember they, they make up these time capsules and sometimes they send them into space, sometimes they store them somewhere for future generations. What message would you leave if you were going to leave it in a time capsule, audio message? What would you leave for the world or for whoever when your life is completed? What would your message be? Um, um, <laughs> I, my message would be think, think about the terrible mess that we made and try and do better. That's all. Mm. I thought you were going to come up with one of those quips that you see on, you know, on the, on the gravestones. So I'm trying to think of what it is now. There's a, a little rhyme about, um, about judging the, the person that's there or something like that. Cause you're soon going to be like me. <laughs> we all no, have the no. same future, you know? No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. No, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. But, <laughs> I mean, if, but if I were said, no, if I were sending a message, I, 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 I can only assume that, that if the message is picked up from a bottle or whatever, uh, the, the people who are picking it up are surviving. At least they're surviving. So mm-hmm. maybe they have a chance. Maybe they have a chance of of doing a better job than we did. Maybe or they may I'm, just sit back and blame mm-hmm. us for it and say, "Well, it was all those people before us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they screwed, yes, they screwed everything up for us." Oh, I'm sure they would. Yeah, I'm sure they would. They'd be right. Yeah. You mentioned we were talking about chapters. You said you you know your your return to France is the current chapter that you're in, but you're just about to start another one, really, because you're going to be selling your house in California. No, that's not. No, that's been it's been it's been putatively sold, really sold for quite a while. I mean, I, oh. it, I knew I knew it was going. There's it's just too much of a worry, and it has been for several years now. So, yeah. So that that's not going to be a big change for you, not having that place yeah. to go to. There are no more chapters coming, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what about motorcycles? You, you're, you're you're talking about selling one of your bikes here. Is is that the end? Are you done riding? No, I'm going to be on my scooter. Oh, uh, so you're just yeah. downsizing. Downsizing, yes. The scooter's 500 cc. 
So it's a, it's a, it's only a hundred and fifty short of the the BMW. So you know, if right. I want to go somewhere, I can. I, I'd still like to go and see people. Yeah. But Ted, at ninety-two, should you be riding a scooter? Why not? <laughs> well, you're not supposed to climb a ladder. I was just thinking, probably a scooter isn't in there either. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think ladders beat scooters. I mean, if I, I can't think why I shouldn't ride a scooter unless um, uh, unless I think that I'm my reflexes aren't good enough. But they seem to be good enough, so I'll do it. Wish me luck. Wish me luck on my scooter. Good, good luck on your scooter. <laughs> Ted, it's always great to sit and talk with you. I always enjoy it so right. much. Thank you very much. Lovely. Well, thanks for calling, and it's lovely listening to you too. Thanks very much, and see you all later. Bye-bye. was the godfather of motorcycle travel, Ted Simon. From his home in Aspiron, France, and Ted's latest book is called Don't Boil the Canary and Other Words of Wisdom Gleaned from My Interrupted Life, Ted Simon. You can buy the book right from Ted's own website, which is jupitelia.com. We've got the link to his website, along with some photos that Ted sent us, all in the show notes for this episode at adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you. Thank you for being a part of this through listening to the show. Now, there's something else you can do if you enjoy the show and you're not doing it already. We would really appreciate your support. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Now, in case you don't know about it already, we have another show out that comes out once a month. It's called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It's out on the 20th. 21st of each month. We have an episode that'll be coming out, well, I guess in a few weeks from this, but you have to subscribe separately. So go and search for that wherever you're finding your podcast, or again, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and uh, click on raw. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 